You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Now guys, <clears throat> we're not going to keep it too long this morning, I hope, that's the plan in it. But we do want to look at God's word and what it says to us and what it says to our lives, amen? amen. Okay, so... What I, there's a bit of a hands theme going on in some of the, some of the images I've been using recently. And I, ju, I just like, I like hands. They speak to me of, of, of action and, and doing things. I want to talk to, this morning uh, about what I'm calling the pattern of purpose. That there is a purpose for your life. There is a meaning for your life. There's a purpose for you to fulfill in your life. And you won't be fulfilled until you have fulfilled that purpose in your life. Now, that's going to be, that's the basic outlay of it. And everybody who has been called by God has a purpose on their lives. And sometimes we can live lives that are without purpose. But I'm going to get into that in a little bit in a second. I just want to say good morning to Cafe Church. Good to have you with us this morning. There might be a bit of, again, like last week, chopping in and chopping out to the, uh, to the, to this, to the sermon, to the slides in the sermon as we go along. I might just call for you to do that as you come in and go. We'll be looking at the main scriptures in just a few seconds. Briefly, however, I want to look for one second what I said last Sunday about the pattern of provision. The thing about the pattern of provision, that the point I was making was this, that when God calls his people after him, when he delivers them, when he, um, when he saves them, when he names them, when he calls them out of, of, of captivity, which was us, we were captives to sin, he always provides for his people. The thing about it, however, is that we live in a society and we live in a culture where provision is anything but certain. We are told that it's all down to us. It may be down to the vagaries of the Irish economy or the global economy. It may be affected by Brexit. You might be upset by some other event that happens in your life. And this question of provision can begin to plague us because it's one of the big questions in our society. Economics is one of the big things. As I said last week, perhaps the biggest question that we're challenged with all the time is will there be enough I want to start however this morning by saying this and this is really important for the person who loves Jesus Christ the question of provision is a closed question it is settled it is a settled question when Jesus said look at the birds of the air who don't sow or reap or stow away into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them, will he not much more feed you, O you of little faith? When he said that, he was saying, open your eyes, when God is your father, you will be provided for. I want to refer to what the psalmist said, when he said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now if you have a want this morning, Jesus told us to bring our prayers for daily bread before the Lord on a daily basis. And that is a good thing, to recognize the source of our provision. But I want you to know that the question from now until you die is a closed question. It is a settled question. Can we, can we, can we say amen to that? So the provision that you need for the rest of your life, however long that may be, the next hour, the next week, the next decade, or the next century, amen, um, for however long it takes, it is a settled question. As Paul had said, and I quoted this last week to the Philippians, he said, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
That's where we left it last week. This is the matter. This is the question we go around. Will we have enough? Will there be enough provision? It is a settled question for those who can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Can anyone here say, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord shepherds my life. Will you raise your hand if that's you? You shall not want. You will not want. No, can we park it there and leave it? Say, leave it alone, Michael. I will. I'll move on. Thank you, Martina. I needed a bit of encouragement there. I was getting stuck. I'm going to come back to this one, the pattern of purpose. Now, if that question is a, is a settled question, another question arises. And that is this. When God calls his people or delivers them, remember what I started off with? I started off with the children of Israel being called out of Egypt and how God provided for them. Um, I want to look at the pattern of purpose. When God calls them, he calls them out for a reason. He has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And it's important that we get in touch with the purpose that God has for our individual lives. Now, I don't know when I get down to that granular detail this morning, but I do want to put some ideas to you, and I want to look at what the scripture has to say about it. I'm going to be looking at John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 27 to 38 in just a few minutes. Um, and I'm going to get, to that, get, get back to that in a second. But I do want to look very briefly at this. When God called out his people, he always had a purpose or a plan for them. Here's just a quick batch of people, literally off the top of my head. And their purpose was made very plain and very clear to them. You can see Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon and Peter and Paul. And you can see where God, uh, where they're recorded in the scriptures generally and what God called them out for. So God sent Joseph. Of it down into, down into Egypt to prepare God's provision for his people when they would go into captivity down there. That was the purpose of Joseph going down into slavery. So that at the end of his days, he said, well, you know, I know I went as a slave, but God used it. God planned it. God intended it. But then you come right, come jump straight forward into the New Testament. You get to the likes of Peter. And when Jesus called Peter, he said to him, I want you to follow me and become a fisher of Fisher of men. Up to that point, he was a fisher of fish. Hello, he was a fisherman. But Jesus said to him, no, I want you to be a fisher of men. God renewed and changed the purpose of his living and of his life. But I want to start out because there are so many fantastic examples. There are dozens and dozens that I could have put up there. But I don't want to bore you with, with all of that detail because I'm sure most of you know it anyway. But I want to look at Jesus' purpose. And I want to look at a conversation that Jesus ended up having. Now, to those of you who are familiar with your Bible, you know that John's Gospel, chapter 4, is the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's controversial for a number of reasons. One, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi who would never be caught. Most of the Jewish uh, rabbis would never be caught dead talking with, teaching or dealing with the Samaritan. And they also wouldn't be caught dead teaching with or dealing with a, a Samaritan woman. Never mind a woman in normal conditions. They would be very slow to have a casual conversation with a woman but with a Samaritan woman even worse and I'm going to jump into the story in just a few seconds but what did Jesus say his purpose was Jesus said it himself this is what he said he said the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost if you feel lost this morning Jesus has come to seek you he's come to save you this morning if you're feeling lost, and even for the Christians sometimes, we can go through periods of time when we drift and feel like we lo we're lost. Jesus saves us too, amen? But this is what he said. This was his stated aim. He spelled it out very clear. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And everything that he did was built around this purpose. We know that his death on the cross was about this purpose. We know that his resurrection was about this 
purpose to bring people, to bring them back to God. That was his whole purpose of living. And so when we come into this story, I want to jump like the first two thirds of the story where Jesus meets this woman. They get into a conversation. Jesus tells her about the water of life that, that he can give to her, that she will never thirst again for and so on and so forth. So he has this incredible salvation bringing conversation with the woman. And I'm going to pick up the story at the end, just at the very end of that story, just as Jesus' disciples come back to him. Now remember in these stories, do you know when we read the story of, for instance, when we read the story of, um, this story will do fine, when we read the story of Jesus and his disciples, do you know who we are? We're the disciples in the story, yeah? Yeah? Do you know when we read the story of Moses and the people, do you know who we are in the story? We're the people, that's it. And we see Joshua and the army, we are who? We're the, exactly. We just need to get our perspective right because sometimes we're like, oh, there's a call of Joshua upon you. Yeah, you really actually, when you read the narratives, we're normally people who are just the normal people in the story. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but we're just the normal people in the story. So in this story, we are the disciples. So you're the disciple. You come back and you find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman in a Samaritan village. And you're not best pleased about it. Listen to what the narrative says. You might throw it up below in Cafe Church, if you would, for us, please, lads. When the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him, Jesus, talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, boy? Or, what are you talking to her for? None of them had the nerve to do that because they kind of had the sense of, well, well, if Jesus is doing it, there must be something right about it. But it didn't mean that they didn't have questions in their hearts and go, oh, I'm not so sure that I like the look of this Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And it goes on to say this. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jesus is fulfilling his purpose. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He just reminded me to silence my phone. Thank you for that. Um, um, uh, Jesus is fulfilling his purpose. He's talking to this woman. He's telling her where to find the water of life. He's bringing the message of salvation. He's seeking her and he's saving her from a very difficult position. And so he's going about his job. But the people who are not going about their job are the disciples because it says that they had gone to town to buy some food. Now, the next phrase is interesting. It says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, when you see the word meanwhile, it's a, you think the woman leaves the, the, the jar at the well and then she heads off. And then the disciples, you know, kind of in the way that you do in a drama or on stage, kind of pipe in and say, uh, Rabbi, eat something. But actually what's going on in this, if you read it correctly, is that while he's talking to the woman and telling her about the water of life and having this deep conversation, we're just saying, eh, Rabbi, you, you need to have something to eat there. We brought back some food. Hello? You see, they didn't have the nerve to say, what are you doing talking to her? But they did have the nerve to say, eh, your dinner's ready. You, you, you need to you need to have some food there, like, when you're ready. So, sorry, Jesus, when you're ready there, you might just kind of, the sandwiches, we made sandwiches when you're ready, like. And they absolutely blank this woman. 
Like, I'm, I'm not talking to her. Like, I'm talk, no, I'm not talking. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm just talking to Jesus here on my own. No, you're just, that's, they're, they're blanking the ones. Meanwhile, they're interfering with Jesus' conversation. Saying, you need to have something to eat. And I can imagine, you know, it, Jesus says, look I, look, I have a food you know nothing about. I just love the, the, the image that's set up here. So you need to have a ham sandwich. No, not a ham sandwich. You're a Jew. You need to have a sandwich. You need to have a sandwich. He says, he says, and they say, come here. Did someone bring a food while we were gone? You see where their head is at? They're thinking about the sandwiches. Their food is, their mind is only thinking about the food. Do you know how if you're out with, with you go for a walk, I, I do it sometimes, myself and my wife, we go for a, a walk and we, we might go for a walk for an hour. And at the end of the hour, for some bizarre reason, we begin talking about what it was like at that restaurant that we were in last week. And you realize, we're thinking about food again, aren't we? We've gone back to food. The disciples were thinking only about provision. They were thinking only about food. And we can get into that mindset when, when God is doing something really important in our lives. We're thinking about, uh, when are we getting the sandwiches like? If we can just begin to think only about provision. And that's why it's really important that we see that we're the disciples in this. We're obsessed with whether or not we'll have provision, whether or not there will be enough for us. And Jesus is saying, would you forget about that? There's more important things to be focused on. And Jesus explains this. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, I read a lot of fitness and health blogs because I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a sad individual. But I do. I tend to read. I've never once read one that said you get nourishment from just giving stuff out. I've never read it. Never once have I ever read somebody say, yes, and if you need to bulk up on your carbs, you need to do more stuff and get rid of stuff. What Jesus is saying here is that I get nourished, not by taking in, but by giving away. I get nourished, not by how much sandwiches I manage to eat because the disciples brought, but by doing the will of God. By actually pouring out my life, I actually get built up. That's what happens. Oh, oh wasn't it Jesus who said, if you, want to, if you want to keep your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And he says, look, it's by giving out that we actually get life. And that's how our lives get meaning. Our lives get meaning not by what we accumulate or not by what we achieve, but by what we do and what we give away. That's what gives our lives meaning. And Jesus was saying to the disciples, lads, would you get over the sandwiches and forget about the bread for 10 minutes and focus on what God wants you to do? Because that's the way our minds go to it. And he improves on it. He improves on the offer he makes to them. And he says this. He says, you know the saying. There's four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. I can't imagine that he said it any other way. I don't see him saying it in that classical, and I say unto thee, wake up, the field of the way. I just don't see it. I just can't see it. I can't see him dead hand going, and I say to you now, I say to you, wake up in a monotone accent because the fields are ripe for harvest. No, that's not what he said. He said to them, wake up. Will you wake up? I'm speaking to myself as well. Jesus is saying the same to me this morning. Wake up, he says, and look around. The fields are already ripe. They're already, would you look around, just look around. They're already ripe. We don't have to go, oh, what will I do? Eh, it's right in front of you. They're already ripe for harvest. And you're called to be a harvester. And he goes on to say, he says, the harvesters are paid good wages. God rewards his servants. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. 
We share in his joy. Look at this, he says. You know the saying, one plants and the other harvest. It's true, he says. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. You didn't do anything to make this happen. You didn't even plant it. He says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now I will get you to gather the harvest. No, you get to gather the harvest. You didn't do anything to make it happen. The Lord has been at work in the lives and hearts of people all around you. The purpose that's there before you, God has already planned it and already made it. All you've got to do is just show up and swing the sickle and you can harvest. That's all you have to do. Well, are you not going to have a sandwich? No, no. Can you imagine the disciples looking at him? Because like, Sorry, what is somebody bring him some food there, did they? I, I just, I. Do you know how I know the disciples were like that? Because I can be a bit like that too, to be honest with you. And so can you. Do you know when something just gets lost in translation? You know, men communicate with women, women communicate with men, adults communicate with children, something just gets lost in translation. I'm not even going to bother giving an example. I won't. Thank you, Dara. You see, we think it's all about us and we've got to find your purpose. And I can, you can, again, go off and read a bazillion blogs. Go, find your purpose. Find the meaning in your life. Find something outside. And do you know what? It's already there in front of us. It's already there in front of you. Now, I'm not going to start spelling out specifically for you what your purpose in life is. Because you need to find that. You need to find what God is calling you to do. We can look at examples and we can look at them some other time. We won't look at them this morning. But here's what Paul says to us in Ephesians. He says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He planned the good things for us long ago. You're not making it up on the fly. There's a plan here. There's a purpose here that's being worked out. And yet we can be kind of going, uh, I don't know, what do I do next? Do the things that God planned for you long ago. And it was the same for his disciples. Jesus was setting the example. I'm about my business. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You need to get in in the same gig if your life is to have meaning, if your life is to have purpose. And all of these people that we read about right through the Old Testament, right into the New, they came out, God called them and said, this is what I want you to do. And they went about it and they did it. And some of them, what they were to do was revealed to them as they went along. Some of them have an epiphany moment and God spoke to them very clearly. For most of us, I'd have to say, we kind of figure it out as we go along. It's like, you know, we discover it as we're moving along. We're following Jesus. We're being faithful to him. We show up at church. Would anyone say amen? We show up at church. You get encouragement. You hear the voice of God. You hear, you hear the word of God or whatever. You know, I said last week, and I think it's important to be clarified, uh, because I said something last week, and uh, somebody just mentioned to me that they were wondering about the, the truth of it. I said, the most important thing a Christian can do is attend church. And the reason I said that was very simple. I'm basing it on anecdotal experience and I'm basing it on all the experience I've had before. There are days when I can't pray because I've had a difficult or a hard day or a busy day. But when I come to church, I always pray. There are days when I can't worship because I've got stuff on my mind or a heavy heart. But I come to church and I worship. There are times in my Christian walk when I wouldn't, especially when I was a young Christian, when I wouldn't read the Bible on a regular basis. 
But I came to church and I heard God's word every time. And if it wasn't for the church, I wouldn't be surviving as a Christian. Can I say this to you? If it wasn't for the church, none of us would be surviving as a Christian. I would like you to find me one good example. And I mean a good example of a Christian who's walking the walk, talking the talk, the life of faith, following Jesus, who doesn't go to church. If you find me one, I'll give you 50 euros. From the offering box. <laughs> Amen. The point I'm saying is that there will be times when you won't be able to worship. You won't be able to pray. You won't be able to think straight. You won't be able to read God's word. Come to church. And that's where God in his community will bless you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Just wanted to make that point. But he, he, so anyway, move, moving swiftly on. Here's, it's, here's something that's important. I want to make this point. This is really important. Here's the thing. When we are talking about the purpose in our lives, when we're talking about the thing that God wants us to do, and like I said, it will be revealed to you as you go along. For some of us, we, we, we know or we don't know, or we're making it up or we're, we're discovering it as we move along. The one thing that your enemy, the devil, does not want you to do is to get involved and start becoming active. What he really wants you to do is spend your time thinking years in advance. He wants you thinking about uh, what might happen to you. Let me give you a simple example from this week. This week, I think it was last Sunday or the previous Sunday, we watched on the TV, on the TV news, a plane came down in flames in Russia. Didn't any of you see that in the TV? It was like shocking. And so I, I thought, wow, what would it be like? I mean, I'm going to be on a plane in a couple of months' time. What if my plane catches on fire? And a couple of days later, I was listening to the to statistics on the radio about men and cancer. And I thought, well, what if I get cancer? I mean, Jenny Mac. I mean, what happened to me if I get cancer? The following morning, they were talking about statistics for road accidents and people being killed in road accidents. So I began to think, Whoa, what if I'm in a road accident? I mean, what happens to my family? And, and then, then, then they began to talk about, they, tank, they were talking about inheritance and so on and so forth. And I said, gosh, I better sort out a will and get myself straightened out because, I mean, what happens if I die? What's going to happen to my, to my wife and my children? And, and then they were talking a little later about diabetes and how diabetes is a hidden disease. And one of the ways in which you can get diabetes is if you have a very sweet tooth. Now, I have a bit of a sweet tooth. And I thought, what? What if I have diabetes? And I end up with pancreatic cancer or something like that. So in the space of a week, I died in a plane, died in a car crash, died of diabetes, and died of cancer. Now, do you know what the chances of even one of those four things happening to me are? And yet my imagination is very vivid. I'm coming down on the plane, and I'm already telling the kids, go, 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 go as our burning plane crashes onto the airport in, in, in Cork. Now, I hope it doesn't happen to me, don't get me wrong. And I'm imagining my, my airbag going off as I hit another car in the Southland Road and spin and tumble, just like they do in the films. And it would be great if we could, you know, our heads get filled up with these things that may never happen to us. In his, in his fantastic, and a book I cannot recommend enough, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this in the early 1960s, or late 1950s. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. I strongly recommend it. But here's one piece of diabolical information that's in that. He says this. He said, God wants them, them being us, to be concerned with what they do. The devil's business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. So the more that he can stoke possibilities and anxieties, ah, my plane is going to crash. Your plane is not going to crash unless you're really unfortunate. 
because there were 40 million flights last year and only two of them crashed. Unfortunately, there were two crashes. But you weren't on them. Would anyone say amen? So there you are. Proof. Um, but he wants us to be thinking about what might happen to us. What if I can't pay the mortgage? What if, there's no, what if I get sick? What if I, and our heads are miles out in front. Whereas God is telling us he wants us to be concerned with what we do. What we actually do in our lives. Amen. Do you know what I'm saying? We are like this. Concentric circles. If you want to, you can throw this up down in Cafe Church, but it's up to yourself. It's like a target. We're like this, right? Now, one of the writers says, this is a fair, this fair construction of what human beings are like. Is there anybody here who isn't a human being? Okay. So, we need to think of ourselves in this way. The processes of action that happen in our lives happen normally like this. Now, I'm talking about in a society of free will, there's nobody here who's a slave. At least I hope you're not. Uh, and so you've got a degree of free will and control over action. He, say, he says this. The, um, um, Lewis makes this point. He says, we need to see ourselves as a bit like these three concentric circles. Now, the outermost circle is this one. It's our imagination. It's what happens the most. We, we, we think about stuff. We never go anywhere but that that happens first in our imagination. The second part of us is this. It's our thinking. It's when something goes from our imagination into our actual thinking and thinking in terms of planning or processing. The last part is this one. It's our doing part of us. That's the central most core of us. You see, when you're all at my funeral, after I've died of a car crash that happened to be on a plane at the time that I was suffering from cancer and I got diabetes, when you've come to that event and say, what a tragic life Michael O'Donovan has had, um, you won't be talking about the things that I imagined or the things that I thought thought, I hope you'll say something nice about the things that I actually did. Amen. And when a judgment day comes, judgment day will be all determined around the middle one. It was what you did. That's what's going to be judged in terms of your works. Did you fulfill your purpose? Did you actually do it? You see, imagining is fantastic. It's dreaming. But you know, there's a way that we can just get lost in dreams. Imagine, imagine you want to ask out a girl, okay? Now, am I on tin ice already? I am, I'm in trouble here, aren't I? It's okay. Imagine you want to ask her a girl, and she is the girl of your dreams. Man, she's the way she walks, the way she talks, the way she looks at her nails. She's like, oh. Sorry, I just happened to listen to Power FM because I got teenagers. Like, every song is about, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like, no, you, no she's not. Sorry. All men say are liars. But you can be dreaming about this girl all day long. Oh, I wish she was mine. No, assume we know that she's free and she's not married to someone else. So go out with another guy. All right? just, let's make some basic assumptions here, okay? I wish she was mine. Oh, let me think of a, a name that nobody in this room has. Sweet Rosary. There's no one here called Rosary. <laughs> oh, I wish Rosary was mine. And you can be imagining what it would be like to go hand in hand through the meadows together. What it would be like to sit and say in the middle of the romantic movie, say, I want to kiss you now, you know. And you can imagine this all day long. And then you can begin thinking about how it happens. You can actually begin thinking about going, okay, now this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to say, Rosary, it's me, Mike. I've been longing to be with you. And, and, and I can plan, and I, I can even buy a book about how to ask a girl out. 
Now, if you need to buy a book about how to ask a girl out, we will be having laying on of hands sessions after the church in the courtyard for you. Okay? Um, so I can begin to think about exactly how am I going to do about it? How am, I, how am I actually going to make this happen? How am I going to actually ask this girl out? She means so much to me. I've been thinking about her all the time. I've got a plan. But eventually, somewhere along the line, you've got to do it. You've got to ask. You've got to make the jump. You've got to say, yes, I want to come into your arms or come into my arms or whatever way you want to do it. I stood on the wall down in Sandy Cove in Kinsale uh, last summer and the water was like just bobbing along. You know, and even in Ireland, the water is basically from a fridge, no matter what part of the summer is. And standing looking, the water is just bobbing around. And, and I know it's deep enough to take me because it's like seven feet deep. So I'm, I'm six, that's seven, is one to spare. We'll figure out, I'll do the bomb, I'll work it out. So I'm standing there and I'm imagining first how awfully cold it's going to be. It's going to be rotten. It's going to be arctic inside in that water. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining... What it's going to be like to plunge into the water and emerge like some kind of super, like, like Michael Phelps or something like that coming up out of the water. And then I begin to think, okay, it's, it's, it's seven feet down to the water. And then below the water, seven and a half feet. And I'm six foot, so that means two times one. And I start to work on it. I can actually think about it. But nothing actually happened that day because I stood on the wall going. <laughs> but eventually, I said, ah, what the heck, I jumped. And it was until I actually got into the water that I actually did it. Do you know what I'm saying? You see, your enemy, the devil, would love to have you thinking in your imagination about what God has called you to do. I would love to be an evangelist. I would love to reach out with the gospel to people. I've even bought 19 books, how to reach people on a Monday, how to reach people on a Tuesday, how to reach people without reaching people, how to be a secret believer that secretly reaches other secret believers. You've read all of the books. But until you actually do it, you haven't done it. Branding is powerful, isn't it? What does that branding say to you? It says, just do it. Just do it. So I'm not going to tell you this morning what your purpose specifically is. Because the Bible is full of various gifts, various ways of serving, various ways of giving and giving to God and giving to his people. It's, it's chock full of them. You read the New Testament, there's, there's just tons and tons of them. You, you don't need me to tell you, but I will tell you this. Until, if you do know, just do it. If you don't know, do what you can in the meantime. Amen. If you don't know, do what you can in the meantime. Because sometimes the need is the call. Not always, but sometimes the need is the call. There is a need and it is the call. Sometimes it's just doing it. And sometimes we've got to say, Lord, he, he, here's my hands. I want to put up my hands. I want to say, Lord, I want to do it. I'm not 100% sure exactly what your purpose for me yet in this life is. I'm not 100% certain that even when I do what I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. But you know what? I'll do it. You know, when I'm dead, uh, that's about five times I've mentioned that this morning. I don't have a death wish, by the way, but I will say this. I will not have dreamt about being a married man. I'll have been a married man. I won't have dreamt about having children. I will have had children. I won't have dreamt about being a Christian. I'll have been a Christian. Now, I may not be the best married man. And if, Elma, if you say amen, no, there's going to be trouble. But I may, not be the, I may not be the best married man. I may not be the best parent. In actual fact, I'm quite certain I am not the best parent. So if there's a competition, I'm not getting the gold medal, okay? I'm certain that I'm not the best Christian. 
but I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and he knows that my heart is after him and my heart is for his people. And you know what? I, I, I'm certain that I'm a pastor. I'm, as you well know, I'm not, definitely not the best pastor. Like, I mean, come on. Like, there's much better people, much better qualified, much more able. But I will have done it. I'll have done it. I'll have done it. I stood in a meeting one time when I was beginning to lead worship. And I think I might have mentioned this before. I stood in a meeting one time. I was in a meeting. It was actually at a conference up in Donegal. And as the preacher was preaching, he said, I just want to say there's somebody in this room. And he looked directly at me. I want to say to someone in this room, but he knew exactly who he was talking to. He looked straight at me and he said, your sense, your sense of um, self-awareness, your sense of, what's the word for it when you become very self-aware? Self-consciousness, thank you. Your sense of self-consciousness is standing in the way of you ministering. And as he spoke to me, he was right. I would pick up a guitar and put on my neck and I would go purple, red, and sweat, and, and, and forget the chords and my hand to get stiff and to get the lines and start going in the middle of songs I was just dreadful because I became so self-conscious standing in front of all of these people but he was right it was an illusion the people who were standing in front of me they weren't thinking about me they were thinking about eh, moving on but I did it will you be able to say the same I think you will I look around here and I see faithful people all around this room say yeah I did it but are we willing to say, Lord, continue to use me? Continue to use me. Even if I'm not 100% sure about the way I'll go. Maybe I'll be, I don't know what I'll be. Maybe I'll be a parent. Maybe I'll be a good husband. I don't know. Here's a, here's a passage from the scripture that is often, I think, misunderstood. It's, from, it's also from John's gospel. And it's Jesus when he's talking about, uh, it's from John's gospel chapter 15. It's Jesus and he says this. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And this word remain, I think, is one of the most misunderstood words. It was really misunderstood in Brexit, as it turns out. But anyway, this word remain is a misunderstood word, and especially in this context. And I'll tell you why. Because people think that this word remain here is a devotional word. Now it's important that we are devoted to Jesus. It's important that we pray. Important that we worship. It's important that we serve God. The word remain in this context is not a devotional word. Because it creates the sense of being still. Of not going anywhere. And not doing anything. It's not the best word in this context. We think that to remain means, well, I just have lots of really good time in the presence of Jesus. And it's good to have good times in the presence of Jesus. I need them, you need them. But that's not what that means. Do you know how I know that's, that's, that, that's, that, that that's not what it means? It's not what it means because of what comes after it. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. You see, Jesus remaining in us, his life in us, is not passive is it? It's not a passive thing. It's not a hovering spiritual presence that kind of floats around in us like we're something from Star Trek walking around with a shiny glow on the inside of us. That is not when Jesus says, as I also remain in you, his remaining in us is powerful. It is active. It is something being done. It is a force to be reckoned with. It is not a sitting back in a reflection on a beautiful sunny day looking out the window. 
So remaining in me, by Jesus' words, means being active in me. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm wired that way. But I want to be active in Jesus. Does anybody here want to be active in Jesus? Can we have a worship band up? We're going to close here. I want us to pray this morning. And I want to pray for two things. First, I want to say, Lord, there's some people here this morning saying, Lord, help me to remain in you. Because I don't know that, 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 that I can hold on all the time. Help me to remain in you. The other person, the other people I'd like to pray for is this. People who are willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to put my hand up and say, I want to follow your purpose, even if I don't know right now exactly what that purpose is. But I want to serve until I'm 100% clear on what that purpose is. Is that an okay thing to pray, do you think, for a Christian believer? Because I want us to bear how much fruit? Much fruit. Am I? You're thinking about the sandwiches like the disciples. Jesus said, remain, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Let me simply ask, does anybody here want to bear fruit in their lives? I do. I want to bear fruit in my lives. Will we stand? We're going to worship together in a second. We're going to sing just the opening line of the song. We're going to sing the opening verse of All I Am. You know the one that says, take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can be used for beauty in your perfect plan. All I am is yours. Let's sing out. John, come on yourself. Let's raise our hands. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can. Be used for beauty in your perfect plan. All I am is yours. Take these feet. Hallelujah. And take these feet. I know they stumble, but you use the weak. You use the humble, so please use me. All I am is yours. Let's pray. Will we close our eyes just for a second? There's some people here this morning, and I know because I was preparing this, I really felt the Holy Spirit prompt to me. You feel like your head is always living in the future. You feel like your anxieties are constantly dragging you to a future that is uncertain and is unknown. I want us to pray today. I want to pray with you today that your mind would be brought back in today because there's grace for today. There is provision for today. There is power for today. If that's you this morning and you recognize your mind with every eye closed, that your mind is continually dragged forward into an uncertain future and you want to say, Lord, would you help me to live in today? If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand? See your hands. I'm just going to pray for you there just before we do our second prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you said, give us today our daily bread. Lord, you have... you told us not to be anxious about the future, not even to worry about tomorrow, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters who raised their hands, Lord Jesus, that they would walk in your present day, Lord Jesus. Lord, that they would live as though the question of their provision or their future is a closed and settled question. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that your hand would rest upon them, Lord, that your peace, your peace would descend upon them, Lord God, that they would have a deep sense of your peace for their future, Lord, that they would be able to hand it over on a daily basis and have that grace in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. If you want to say, Lord, will you remain in me? Will you raise your hand? Just keep your hand up just for a second. If you're here this morning, you want to say, Lord, I don't know 100% what my purpose is, but I want to put my hand up and say, Lord, will you use these hands? Use my hands to serve you and to give my life purpose. Use my hands and use my strength that I may remain in you as you remain in me. If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand? As we're now quarter past 11, we're going to pray right where we are. Can I ask you to raise your both hands high as we pray this morning? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would see these hands this morning. Lord, as votes, people who are declaring, I'm not 100% sure yet what my purpose is or what purpose you've called me for. But Lord, I genuinely, humbly, simply want to say, Lord, will you use me? Lord, I'm also praying this morning, Lord, would you reveal your clear purpose for me? Lord, as I read your word and I listen to Christian teaching and get the counsel of Christian friends, Lord. Lord, as I look at the gifts that you've given me and the abilities you've given me, Lord, help me to find my most satisfying purpose in you. But Lord, I know this. Lord, we know this. That the only way to gain our lives is to give them away. And Lord, I pray this morning for all of us, Lord, that we would have a grace and we have an empowerment and an ability, Lord God, to be able to serve wherever you call us to serve, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning for people's hearts to change towards their neighbors, Lord. Instead of trading insults, Lord, I pray maybe this morning or maybe today they'd begin to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people will be harvested, souls would be won. I pray we would follow in your pathway for our lives, Lord, and follow your purpose for our lives too, Lord. Lord, we commit our hands into your hands and ask you to bless the work of our hands as we serve you, as we find our purposes in you. Lord, as we remain in you, Lord Jesus Christ, remain in us, remain active, remain powerful, remain purposeful in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice. No longer my own. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. I lift my hands up. God, I surrender. All that I am for your glory, your honor, your fame. I lift my hands up, God, I surrender to you. And I lift my hands up, God, I surrender. All that I am for your glory, your honor, your fame. I lift my hands up, God, I surrender to you. Let's close in prayer. Let's close in prayer this morning. My prayer for you this week is that you would go beyond 
what's happening in your imagination, that you would go beyond what's going on in your thinking or your planning, and that this week you'll just do it, that this week we'll be phoned with our hands busy about our Father's business. If you want to pray that prayer, will you raise your hands? Let's close. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the purposes and plans that you have for us being worked out. May we this week walk into the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. May we this week, Lord, be found faithful in doing rather than just dreaming or thinking. May we be found faithful in doing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, bless us, be with us and watch over us, we pray. In this coming week, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. The guys are going to play us out in a second. Don't forget we're serving tea and coffee upstairs. We're back here again on Tuesday night with a pattern of protection. God bless you and go with you. Hope to get to say hi to you before you leave. Over to the guys.